when it comes to heating up your business, it's all about making more bacon. And that requires an expert with a particular set of skills. You need a Baconologist. Building authentic connections, online networking, through social selling, relationship marketing, mindset and training. Yeah, that's bacon. Get ready, because we're about to fry up a sizzling success strategy. This is the Bacon Podcast with your host and business Baconologist, Brian Basilico. It's a lot of bees, man. Welcome, everybody. I'm your host, Brian Basilico, and this is the podcast where you learn to make your business sizzle online. So are you ready to fry up some new business? Hey, peeps, this is Brian, and we are going to have a blast today. We're going to go way back like cave genes time and talk about your primal brain our guest today is tim ash and he's with timash.com very original name but he's got a great new book it's called unleash your primal brain so tim man how are you doing i'm doing great good to be with you brian it's going to be a fun episode. I'm really looking forward to this. But before we get started, I want my audience to get to know you. So how did you go from cutting lawns in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, to helping clients cherry pick their customers off the internet? <laughs> oh, man, that's what I get for having you do background research on me. Well, actually, we go back more. I, I was born in the former Soviet Union, what's now Moscow, Russia. Wow. Migrated to the U.S. with my family when I was eight years old and lived in Albany, New York, Ann Arbor, Michigan, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. That's the official way to pronounce it, by the way. Cherry. <laughs> go to UC San Diego on a full ride scholarship on the beach in San Diego, and there's a nude beach next door. So nice. that was how I got into computers and marketing and all of that crazy stuff. So I basically got the hell out of New Jersey as quickly as I could to answer your question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't blame you one bit. And uh, But dude, you know, nude beach, primal brain, yeah, it works for me. Um, <laughs> so how did you go from that to, you know, having your own agency and now being a keynote speaker and writing a book? You know, the agency, I got into the internet in the early days, back in the mid-90s, shortly after Al Gore invented the interwebs. Oh, yes. And, uh, we helped launch new dot-coms. So, so we were the acting CTO on their management team, built websites uh, in the raw back in the day, and got into driving traffic, pay-per-click traffic off the search engines. And what we found is when we were driving that traffic, what the constraint was, was the crappy websites we were sending it to. So I pivoted the whole agency, as we like to say these days, to focus on making websites more effective. And that's become its own field called conversion rate optimization, how to maximize the percentage of your visitors that are going to act when they get to your site. So I wrote a couple of best-selling books about landing page optimization, ran an international conference series on it, and really built my whole agency on making web experiences more effective. And we've worked with the Googles and Nestle's and Siemens and Expedia's of the world and created over 1.2 billion in documented value by improving their websites. That's a nice number. So how does that translate to the history of the brain? Because we want to go way back. Uh, one of my all-time favorite commercials, I remember this is like, these genes are old. How old are they? They're like cave genes, you know? So I'm thinking, you know, the history of the brain, we're talking about our Cro-Magnum selves. Actually, I think you're going back to amoeba, right? You go all the way back there? Um, 
well, to, uh, yeah, earliest life on earth. I mean, the brain didn't just pop into existence. Everyone thinks, well, human beings are so unique and we're rational and, and uh, better than other wild animals and lower life forms. The fact is we're recycling stuff. We picked up things along the way that are still very useful and very powerful. And a lot of what we do operates inside the primal brain on autopilot. So to really understand where we came from, we have to retrace that whole evolutionary arc from the earliest life on earth to some of the uniquely human bizarre stuff uh, at the end that we kind of picked up through evolution. With this evolution, I mean, one, one of the things I've heard about the brain is the biggest difference between animals and humans is that we fear our death. We understand death and we fear it where animals don't even think about that. Does that have anything to do with how we surf the internet? Um, I actually, I'm not buying your premise. Uh, sorry, Brian, I'm not buying what you're selling. Okay. Uh, <laughs> humans versus animals, first of all, is a meaningless distinction because we are animals and we're just a different kind, the one that took over the whole planet like a plague of locusts, but that's another story. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there's nothing particularly wonderful about us. And um, it's just, you say, most of the stuff that we use to run our lives, make decisions, build relationships, that's all stuff we share with, with other earlier forms of life. Uh, even, you know, for example, let me give you an example. There's dopamine. We talk about that as a brain chemical. It's mm -hmm. the, oh, it's chasing rewards, right? We think about that, the three blinking buttons as we wait for someone to respond to our message and the anticipation of that. Well, guess what? We share dopamine with fruit flies going back several hundred million years. That's just a way to meter out energy and to figure out what's worth chasing or not, a pretty basic mechanism that all life shares. So again, most of what we do is really, really grounded in what other animals do as well. Now, the things that make us human are things like culture spread and language and, and so on. That is pretty unique, but uh, um, we're not that special. That's the bottom line on it. Okay, well, and I take you at face value because, I mean, you know, I listen to a lot of audiobooks and you get all these different ideas, you know. And, um, no, it's good to know. So, what does that mean in the world of marketing? I mean, what do we care about the fact that we have something in common with a fruit fly? Well, it matters because how we make decisions is basically automatic, subconscious, and very fickle and easy to influence. I guess you could call them glitches in the matrix or these irrational tendencies we have. But when you look at them through the prism of evolutionary psychology, they're really not irrational. They're survival instincts that work well most of the time. And they worked well to evolve us to where we were, say, 200,000 years ago, running around in small bands on the plains of East Africa. The problem is that some of that stuff starts to misfire when you put us into groups of billions of people in really complicated civilizations. So as marketers, we need to understand how we really make decisions and what we're designed for and what all 8 billion of us on the planet have in common. So if you want to have a good career as a marketer, you need to understand psychology and how the brain works. And the good news is that's kind of frozen in amber it's not evolving in our lifetime anyway, and uh, we don't have to worry about it. So it's not about the technology. It's not about VR this and Twitter that and, you know, I don't know, hologram suppositories tomorrow. It, it's, it's about brain science. 
uh it's uh you just got me a suppository dude um <laughs> and and i love where this is going so you know when we think about this you know when people are on the internet and you, you've seen these memes all the time you know we have the attention span of a goldfish when we get to a website or when we're surfing you know it's like ding 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 how do we utilize those primal things to get people to a take notice and b take action Mm, yeah, the, the, those are great uh, questions. Let's start with taking notice first. If you want to get people's attention or, and also more importantly, to have them remember something, you have to have a really strong multi-sensory experience and a strong emotional reaction. So think about it this way. The logical brain doesn't decide anything. All it does is present you with options. And technically, you could do infinitely many things in any given moment. So how do you prioritize those? Well, that's emotions. That's where they come in says, ow, that really hurt. I better move my, my hand from the hot stove or, ooh, that felt really good. Let's, let's do more or whatever that is. So basically, we're prioritizing based on emotions and we literally can't make decisions without them. So if you want to be an effective marketer, you almost have to play people like a musical score. What emotions do you want to evoke? Because that's what's going to get the, the win, that's what's going to get them to act. So overcoming that inertia of doing nothing and pulling them off of their comfortable spot, either with positive or negative emotions, that's basically your, your playlist. Gotcha. So when you say immerse them in something, so it, it's part visual, part audio, part reading, you know, it, it, it's everything that's in, engrossed in there. Now, I grew up in the age where we were doing flash animations. Remember flash? Yes. And, uh, you know, everything was like, move this, move, you know, have things moving and people will pay attention, you know. And well, you know, aside from the fact it uh, got hacked like crazy, it, it became annoying, you know, and there was that balancing act. So what is the modern day engagement machine look like? What, what are some of the, the intricacies that you found that work best to get people to A, pay attention, dig deeper? Well, the way to think about it is, uh, let me give you an example. Have you ridden on a roller coaster? Mm-hmm. I've only done it a couple of times, not a big fan, but you know, there's G-forces, there's wind, there's people screaming, there's your stomach telling you it's going to evacuate your lunch in a second. All of that stuff makes it really, really memorable because it's multi-sensory and it kind of calibrates you. And so that's what you still probably remember your first roller coaster ride as a result. But do you remember tying your shoes this morning? No, because you've done it a thousand times and it's on autopilot and it doesn't have any strong survival implications. It's not like, wow, I better remember that. So all I'm advocating is that we really try to trigger as many strong emotions as we can. That's not the same as using flash or being obnoxious, but try to get at people's emotional underpinnings to try to understand that that's what we're really trying to move is people's emotions. It's not logical stuff. It's not like I have the bronze plan and the gold plan, and here's a table of all the features. That's Snore City. Nothing's going to make me buy after looking at a, a table. Mm -hmm. It's really about what's the underlying motivation, what are the values, what's the pain. It's those kind of things that move us to action. 
So when you start creating these things, do you go through like A-B testing and say, okay, here is, you know, here's a plate of spaghetti and here's a plate of ravioli and here is some fettuccine. Do you, do you kind of look at that and see, you know, from a mental standpoint, what's going on? Are you ABC testing or how does that work? Well, here's the irony. Like I said, I ran a, an optimization consultancy and uh, I literally wrote two best-selling books on landing page optimization and testing. Uh, but I think if you start at that end, it's ready, fire, aim. You don't know who you're trying to influence. And the biggest mistake that marketers make is say, broadcasting to the world saying, everybody wants our stuff. It's the best thing since sliced bread. And that's not true. If your product is aimed at everybody, you won't be able to message them effectively. There are very few broad brands, Coca-Cola perhaps, or Sony, I don't know, stuff, Apple. But when you think about it, even they have specializations. So the first thing we have to do as a marketer is pick a target audience and be really, really tight about that. And then you can understand their values and their cultural affinities, and then you can design products and messaging to influence them. But that's the right order. It's not starting with, let's see what kind of crap we can throw at the wall and which version of it <laughs> sticks the best. Hence why I use spaghetti and ravioli and fettuccine. Um, I'm glad you caught <laughs> it's on It's much to that. stickier than crap, you're right. Exactly. So from there... You know, and I totally get what you're saying. I mean, finding your perfect avatar, knowing your message and who you're speaking to and how it's going to make them feel. And in it, I work primarily in the B2B world and in B2C, I always say that if I buy the wrong toilet paper, I will sleep on the couch. In the B2B world, you know, if I buy the wrong toilet paper for 100,000 different offices, I sleep on the street because I get fired. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so give me some ideas or some strategies on how to use this, maybe how to find our perfect avatar or, or what kind of things that you talked about. And, and more importantly, how do we utilize this to improve our marketing skills? Absolutely. Well, there a lot of times I hear this thing where B2B versus B2C, they're different. Yes. And no, they're not. People still have a brain and that's still what you're trying to get through to make the decision. So there is a difference though. And like you said, in B2C, if I write buy the wrong Tic Tacs at 7-Eleven, there's no big consequences in B2B, like you say, I'm going to get fired. So there's personal consequences and there's professional consequences. And in B2B, the decisions are much heavier weight. So one of the things you have to understand in B2B is usually there are several decision makers. There's the end user. There's somebody who's going to maintain the system. There's the chief financial officer who has to sign off on its life cycle cost. There's the buyer in, in the purchasing agent who has to minimize the corporate risk and get competitive bids and a request for proposal. So what you really have to do in the B2B setting is make sure you have a little microsites within your site saying, hey, CFOs, you're welcome over here. Here's the whole life cycle cost thing. And we're speaking your language. So you can't just generically sell the product. You have to sell to each of those different roles. No, totally makes sense. So in the in the B2B world, it, it is more complex. I, I'm oversimplifying. So how do we how do we use this in to improve our marketing? What are some of the tips that you give people to be able to improve what they're doing? Well, one of the things I mentioned, I think this is powerful in all settings, is understanding the audience. Let me tell you a quick story. Now, this is an objective story. 
uh, the bull charged the bullfighter who sidestepped quickly and plunged his sword from above between the bull's shoulder blades, striking its heart and killing it instantly. Okay, now that's something you can record with a video camera. It's objective reality, I guess you could say. Now, if my I wife would divorce me if I actually showed her that video too. By probably the way. not a good idea then. <laughs> now, if you if you're in Spain and you're you you love bullfighting, it's about tradition and being an impeccable warrior and man versus raw nature, all this positive stuff. If you tell that story to your wife or anyone who supports. PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, they'll think this is barbaric animal torture and murder subsidized by these animals who are watching it, different kinds of animals. So mm -hmm. the same story, the same objective reality is being interpreted very differently based on the values of the cultural tribe you're trying to attract. And that's why I say you have to start at the beginning. You have to start with an understanding of who you're trying to influence and understand their values first. So, th so that's my number one goal is go really narrow, figure out that target audience and speak only to them. Nothing else matters. If it's off target for other people, they're not the audience I'm trying to reach. Another thing I think most marketers do wrong is they emphasize the positive. Let's say you're selling tooth whitening. Okay, you could say, you'll have whiter teeth and a brilliant smile. And instead, what you should say is like, oh, those yellow teeth. Are you embarrassed to open your mouth? Does it look like you have a resting bastard face because you don't <laughs> smile? Are you going to die alone with your cats <laughs> because no one will find you in that lonely apartment you live in? That's what I would do if I wanted to sell tooth whitening. You see how much more powerful that is? We're tuned to danger and loss and survival threats. We have about a two to one bias in that direction. So if you want to move me off my comfortable spot, do it with negative stuff by rubbing salt into the wound. I just hear too many marketers, especially a big brand saying, oh, we're the nice brand. We don't say anything mean. Well, I'm like, good luck. You're fighting with both hands tied behind your back. Mm-hmm. Well, based on your description of that uh, teeth whitening thing, I would like to hand you my credit card. It begins with 5555. Five, five. <laughs> one, two, one, two. <laughs> right. Um, no, I, I totally get it. And I, I agree with you 100% on, you know, the negative emotion, but make them feel like there's hope, right, at the end of it? Well, you have to first take them down into the negative on a roller coaster to the lowest level of hell and then back out into the light. And the contrast you create is the value that they're going to place on solving that problem. If it's just more of the same, I mean, the default of the brain, because it sucks up so much energy, is to basically on, be on standby mode and not do anything. It's what behavioral economists call the status quo bias, doing nothing, keep on trucking, doing the same thing you were doing. So that's your competition. It's not your competitor's company. It's me not getting my butt off the couch or doing anything. So you have to get me off of that comfortable spot. And the quickest way to do that is to take me on that down escalator and back up into the light before you even talk about your solution. Okay. So we've talked about um, killing bulls, naked beaches, and we've talked about spaghetti. So what I want you to do is pull together a secret sauce that has none of that stuff in it that helps people. I, I know that market research and understanding your avatar is a deep thing, but what are some of the tips that you could offer that would get people to understand their clients faster other than going, what makes you feel bad, Joe? 
Yeah, I think that the best thing you can do is go out into the field. We, we use in internet marketing, especially the crutch of data way too much. You're talking about split testing. Well, a lot of times that's used to settle bar bets. Does a green button or an orange button work best? Well, that's nice, but that's not really fundamental. You want to learn about your visitors? Get as close to the front lines as possible. Talk to your customer service people. They'll give you an earful. Talk to your salespeople. They'll tell you about objections. Look at your social media feed. You know what people really think about your brand and what a piece of crap most likely they think it is. So get out of your a marketing department where you're talking about return on ad spend and you know business intelligence. Screw that. Go talk to some actual customers. You'll, you'll learn a lot, I promise you. Doesn't have to be scientific, but you're going to get all kinds of insights. Wow. So, so to unleash your primal brain, you actually have to have relationships with people? Yeah, man. Crazy talk. I know. That is. That's, dude, that's like, you know, off the chains. <laughs> and incidentally, we're the most social of all creatures, of all mammals, that is. Uh, it's actually been shown in longitudinal studies that not having strong social support is about the medical equivalent of being a two-pack-a-day smoker hmm. health outcomes. So uh, don't underestimate our need to be connected uh, to other people. That's a huge driver of our behavior. Tim, man, this has been awesome um my brain hurts but not in a bad way um so what i want to do is give people an opportunity to get to know you and your book better so what's the best way for them to connect with you well if you're interested in the book that's easy to find uh it's everywhere as an ebook audiobook narrated by me or paperback and you can get more info including the full table of contents at primalbrain.com I also just recorded a new neuromarketing LinkedIn learning class. It used to be called lynda.com, but LinkedIn learning. So check out my neuromarketing course there if you're, if you're a member of that. And if you want to learn about my digital marketing or keynote speaking all over the world or corporate training, uh, check out timash.com, T-I-M-A-S-H.com. Well, Tim, man, this has been a blast. It was a lot of fun. We had a great time, but it was good kind of getting back to my caveman roots. And I appreciate you coming on, dropping some sizzling hot bacon knowledge bombs on my peeps. I'm looking forward to checking out more of your stuff. And thanks again, man, for coming on and sharing your knowledge with my audience. Brian, it was delicious. Thank you for letting us sprinkle some bacon bits into your brains. Want some more? Learn more about this podcast and our guest experts at baconpodcast.com. Have questions? Send them to askbrian at baconpodcast.com. Until next time, keep sizzling. And remember, it's all about the bacon. <laughs>